Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Waco Loud and Rogue Media Network, this is Invisible Icon, the Tom Wilson story. I'm your host, Travis Scott, and on today's episode, we conclude the phone call between executive producer Zach Burke and Tom Wilson III. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part episode, so if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the first part of this phone call, we recommend taking a few minutes now to go ahead and listen to that. Hey, Zach. Hey, can you hear me okay? Hey, I wanna, yeah, I can hear you fine. I want to I wanna give you some kudos, and I know that I'm obviously not much older than your son because I'm only 32, but uh-huh. you have, just from that short conversation there, I can tell you that you have a, you have a really good son. I just, I enjoyed oh, talking to you, him man. and just, you know, the, the way he talked, the way, just everything about him. It seems like he's, he's headed places, I feel like. So, uh. I just, oh yeah, no, he stands on shoulders, baby. He stands on shoulders. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'll try to try to wrap this up. Then I just had a couple more questions, kind of regarding sure. the the end of your dad's life, because there's not much there. From my understanding, he was born with he had Marfan syndrome, correct? Yes. Um, but I don't think anybody knew about it until he was actually stricken. Oh, okay. So, you know, we had the history of tuberculosis and that type of stuff that, mm-hmm. that is chronicled there, but it came out of left field to us. But when, when, when finally that, when he was diagnosed with it after the heart attack, um, 
it was uh, it was readily apparent from the characteristics. Same thing Abe Lincoln had: very long, slender fingers, long feet, tall, growth spurts. These are all kind of the characteristics of it. And so, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a shock. In fact, uh, that reminds me, my it skips a generation, so it's it's time to get him, my son tested for it. Yes, sir. Um, it, yeah. <sighs> I, um, I, I, I don't like talking about stuff like this at all, but I just, you know, just to try to get the information out there. Was there, so he had uh, the first heart attack where he was, y'all found the diagnosis and then he mm-hmm. passed away from the second one, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And those weren't that far apart though, were they? No, they really weren't. I mean, I was a, um, let's see, I was a junior in high in college. So I graduated in 79. So that must have been in 76 so probably about a year year and a half i'm guessing i'm not i'm a little hazy on it but i also remember him talking about it on two fronts philosophically um that he had uh um, led a full life type thing and it wasn't kind of a a capitulation to it but it was i remember hugging him after going home for the um for the initial after he had gone into the hospital and then going back to continue my schooling and then coming back home. And he was out of the hospital and we were hugging in this living room. And I said, man, I wasn't sure I was going to be hugging you ever again. He said, yeah, neither was I, man. He said, but that, those doctors uh, were just amazing. And he, he said he, he had such an appreciation and respect for them that, it, you know, if he ever made a bunch of money again, large amounts were going to go toward UCLA because of the treatment that he got there. And also, this is an anecdotal story that I got um, in the sense that he had told me how painful it was, how the, the uh, recovery and the initial um, uh, attack, he apparently drove himself from the Hollywood Hills down to the hospital um, and uh, made it in there. And immediately they, they realized he was in serious cardiac, cardiac arrest and whisked him in. But he, uh, and the second attack, I guess, his aorta had ruptured after they had sheathed it. And I kind of, uh, he apparently was walking past phones in the house. Um, and someone who had been in there, I had never saw this, had said it was almost as though it was a, um, an intentional not wanting to call for help. So I don't know that for true. But that was the sense that I got. It's funny you say that. There's a lot of uh, similarities I can relate to with my father in that aspect. When I was young, he had a heart attack that was misdiagnosed, and he didn't go to the mm-hmm. doctor for eight days. And it was a widowmaker one, so he was uh-huh. 100% blocked. Like, they were amazed that he was alive, but he lost two-thirds of his heart from them. And then after that, right. it was just kind of always a struggle, and he still had problems. But the last time that I remember, I went over – and I saw him one weekend. This has been about seven, eight, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when my father passed away. And I, I, I saw him, and he was just, you know, in good spirits, and we had a really good talk, and it was just, you know, like because my father and I didn't always have the best kind of history with one another, but it was a really good meeting, the best one I had in a while. And then he called me the next day and was just talking and just told me how proud of me he was and that he loved me. And I didn't think anything of it mm-hmm. at the time, but then the next day I got the call from his hospice nurse that he had passed away, but it was just one of those things of mm-hmm. where you kind of feel like he had come to 
realized that, hey, this was about to happen, and he, you know, accepted it and had realized that he was happy with what he had done kind of thing of, of the life he had lived and you he know, was there, ready. Yeah, and, yep, there is that sense, Zach, and I, I got to tell you, with my dad, it was it, it, it wasn't as um, prescient as that in this sense in that he had been told, and he said to me, they sheathed my aorta, and part of Marfan's is a weakening of your aorta. They had sheathed it in Dacron, and he was, he said in his words, I'm going to outlive y'all. So he would, there was kind of, I don't know if there was a, uh, a serenity there, um, that he had kind of survived it, dodged the bullet, but that, uh, he, you know, he, I, I got the sense he didn't want to go through it again. And I think that, Mike, like your father, there is a comfort in the fact that he felt like he had done so much, his kids were launched. It's the same way I feel about my son. If I'm not here tomorrow, I'm confident my son will, will and my daughter is equally as, as gifted as my son um, and as articulate and as independent and as, um, as just, a, just a stellar student and all the stuff and, the, and a stellar human being because Student is not the gradient that I want to use somebody on, but they're both, you know, great students. But they're they're better people than they are students. And I think there was comfort in my dad, and it sounds like it was the same with your dad, is that I'm going to take this time out here to recognize you in case I haven't said it enough. Um, how proud I am of you. And my dad gave me one of those before I went away to college, a big hug saying that he couldn't have been prouder of me. And it, it's just, there's an, did you feel an emancipation in it, Zach? Because I did. Yeah, no, because I... I was, yeah, there's a taskmaster dimension to them that sometimes doesn't let the, the true feelings come through. Mm-hmm. For me, it was kind of like, because I knew that obviously he spent every day from whenever that heart attack was when I was like in eighth grade in some sort of pain. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was hooked mm-hmm. up to an oxygen machine all the time. And he wasn't supposed to smoke, mm-hmm. but he still did because he was going to be him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, but you my ju- mom did that. <laughs> and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. just, you know, don't do it by the oxygen at least. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it just, I, I felt like the thing that sticks with me is because, funny enough, I was on air um, hosting the, mm-hmm. the sports show that I did. And I got a call mm-hmm. from a number I didn't know and with a voicemail. And so during right. one of our breaks... I just listened to it, and then, like, I got off and realized I had to finish 30 more minutes of our show, which was just kind of weird to do. But mm-hmm. I called my mm-hmm. mom real quick and mm-hmm. let her know. So when I got done and I walked out and I called her back, and I said, so, and she goes, well, I'm here. Obviously, we're waiting for the ambulance to come and take him because he was already, like, the nurse found him, and he was just in his chair dead. But she goes, he looks peaceful. He's just sitting here, just closed eyes, just mm-hmm. like, you know. He just finally kind of went to sleep there. And there was a bit of relief in that sense of just like, all right, obviously, you know, he's, he's not hurting anymore. And so that. Right. Yeah. That kind of yeah, helped it, me. Go, it shifts from, it shifts from quality of life to quantity. Yeah. And that um, you, you have to, you have to be bigger than the moment in the sense that you have to realize that you you can't be as wounded as you want to be. You can't be resentful of it. You have to kind of divorce yourself from the you and look at the greater picture and the them and it's to have somebody suffering in pain and hanging on um and just kind of feeling guilty about imposing on people all the kind of cornucopia of emotions that go through that 
from their side of the fence. And on the other side of the scale is, boy, I don't want to lose my dad. Um, you, you have to kind of step back from that. And that's what I meant about the emancipated part of it, too. Yes, when they when they kind of pass the torch to your psyche, if you will, when they say, yeah, you know, my dad validated me. Mm-hmm. Something that he may not have been as articulate or, or, or uh, skilled at doing in the past. He mustered it up. He nutted up at the right time and did it. And it's uh, there's there's real value. There's comfort and there's a serenity in that. Yes, sir. I uh, I completely agree with you there. I've heard that um, Bob Dylan was at the funeral. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, did Did anybody yeah, else? Well, it was a service. Sorry, yeah, there was a service in Los Angeles, and he was there. Um, there, you know, there was there was a lot of people there, and I was it was such a blur to me. I, I must confess, I don't know the roster of folks that was there, but I know he was there. Uh, that's that's totally understandable. Um, I wanted to ask if you know why, because um, well, your dad's buried here at the Doris Miller Memorial Cemetery, and the mm-hmm. date on his headstone is incorrect. It's at seventy six and not seventy eight. And I didn't know if you knew mm-hmm. anything about that. You know, I, I, you know that that again, my grandmother there of a a duality to his existence. There was L.A. and there was Texas. And my grandmother uh, was determined to have him and his ashes taken back to Texas. And I don't know anything about that except that I've heard that. Um, And that's something that I I think my family and I are going to have to sojourn up there and rectify because, uh, yeah, that's two years early. (laughs) Yeah, no, and that's... We already already had a short time with him. We don't need to truncate it anymore. (laughs) And and that's... I I bring that up, too, because that's one of the things that we've wanted to get fixed here, too. Like, we obviously want to help with that. So um, uh, anything we can figure out or any channels we can figure out that would help with that will obviously pass along to mm-hmm. you but just so it mm-hmm. is at and least. i have i have never seen his gravestone i have never seen it well you know when you come down here for the dedication we can take you on a tour it's uh that sounds wonderful. you know it's it's named after a fellow uh aj moore alum and doris miller so oh there you go yep. there you go um, well you know is, there, is it, i was just i was talking with um uh lane hamilton um and uh you know, are you familiar with lane that's the guy behind the um, the uh, ch- the church at Second and Clay. Oh yeah, who just bought it? Re- yeah, and uh, and I, I was I was struck by how close uh, more high school was to the river. I had no idea. Yeah, no, it's right there off the Brazos. Um, I think they they shut it down just a couple of years ago, and now they just have Waco mm-hmm. High and University is the main high mm-hmm. schools in town and then midways in Hewitt, which is like, you know, a suburb kind of. So those are the three large schools now, but yeah, it's right across from the Brazos there. The road that was right by Mm -hmm. it is right from the Brazos. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you a funny story about my dad. One time I was, uh, we were out sailing in California because again, you, you're dealing with a guy who got all sorts of different tastes. So he would rent sailboats. And I said, why don't you ever buy a sailboat? Because he said, I don't have time to use it. It's much easier to rent it. You'll see the sense of that. And, you know, we did the whole thing. And he was teaching me how to come about, you know, and switch the sails and all this stuff. Stuff I know he had thoroughly researched because that's the way he was. 
And uh, I, I turned to him one day, and it was just me and him out on the boat. My, my mom and my sister had elected not to go. And I said, man, where did you learn how to sail? And he said, man, on Lake Waco. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then 20 years later, I'm with my cousin Bobby, and we're driving by Lake Waco. <laughs> might not have been lying after all he might actually learn how to sail on this little lake because that's the kind of guy he was so but the way he said it was with such contempt like oh what do you mean you doubt that i can sail and then i I said no i don't doubt that you can sail but where did you learn on lake waco man if you must know you know I, I understand the skepticism i mean i live here and if somebody told me they learned something on lake waco i'd still question it Cause it, it's not the biggest yeah, lake, so yeah. I know, but it's just the kind of thing where he would practice the. See, my dad, like he used to say about my mom when they would play tennis. Um, my dad was a cerebral tennis player, and what I mean by that, he would say, "All right, knees bent, rack, address the ball, bracket head back early, follow through," and he'd be taking all these lessons. And my my mom would get out there and just start whacking it around, naturally following through, naturally bending her knees, naturally getting ready. <laughs> you know, and I spent all this money and lessons in this neophyte comes out here and is, is dusting my butt on a tennis court. So oh. that's the way he, I could easily see him approaching sailing that way as well, you know, just from a textbook and then mastering it. That's so funny. Because I can remember him in a recording studio. Um, he would carry around an, uh, uh, a canvas bag, an LL Bean bag, and it would have all these records in there. And the half of them wouldn't be in jackets. They'd just be stuffed in there. And, uh, and you know, the guy who knew you don't scratch records and all this stuff, but to my dad, you know, records were basically free. So he, uh, he would grab a record, he'd sort through the stack, and see the sound, see that echo, that hollow timpani on that, that's what I'm looking for. That's the sound I want. So he would have this concept in his head and in order to articulate it, he was big on show and tell. So he would demonstrate it. See the way Keith Moon is banging on that drum. That's what I need. See the way that's reverberating there or why it's muted. That's what I'm looking for. And I would listen to him do that type of stuff. And he would sort through his catalog with this, this big pile of records. It will always crack me up. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And I think, you know, you tell that story there. And I think that's part of the reason why, I felt kind of gravitated towards your father and even more so after hearing things like that. When I was, you know, a mm-hmm. production director for 10 years, you work on so much mm-hmm. audio that I could not listen to mm-hmm. the radio anywhere else because I'd be like, well, why did they do that? Well, why did they use, you know, that music's too low. It's, or that music's overpowering mm-hmm. his voice. You can't hear what he's talking about. Oh, I didn't like that sound yep. effect. And everything I listened to for that 10 years, mm-hmm. actually probably up until like the last year, now that I've been so removed from it, but I couldn't listen to anything mm-hmm. without critiquing or being, oh, they did really mm-hmm. good on that transition. And I feel like with the stories you tell, obviously, that was probably your dad with any music he listened to. All the time. And it's the same way I watch news broadcasts now. Um, I, can't, I can't watch interviewers labor through some stuff or I'm watching um, the bent of a story because of being a, uh, a, a news producer and an executive producer and a managing editor. Um, you learn how to kind of tell stories. That's what my son was referring to. Um, is uh, and there's there's a marriage between sight, sound, and words, and you only have a short period of time to do it in a minute thirty story. 
So they're precious seconds and they're, they're precious opportunities. And when I see them squandered on TV or I say, Jesus, you have 18 minutes to fill in a half hour newscast and that is the schlock you're putting on TV. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't watch. I, that's why I, I have real trouble watching local news. It's too much happy chat. There's not, a, there's not enough. Uh, substance to it and I have the same frustration I mean I was just watching meet the press with my wife this morning uh, you know cursing out Chuck Todd for letting himself get steamrolled by somebody on TV and I just I, I can't countenance it and it's it's it, it, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse. You have an insight like you have into production, but at the same time, you know, it's like carrying a cross. You oh, can't yeah. watch this stuff or listen to it without, you know, falling into the, falling into it. <laughs> exactly. It's things we love, but, you know, and we love so much and we've worked with it so much that we know how we can, you know, like, here's how I would do mm -hmm. it. Or here's how, what I think, you know, a good broadcast, a good sound sounds like. And so you just listen mm -hmm. and you can't help but but critique everything like that. And it just kind of, like you said, blessing and a curse. Um, I want to, yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and uh, I appreciate your time again uh, very much. Oh, and you helping that. us out with this. I'll go ahead and, and close. I have one more question that I just came to me while I was talking to you and your son and then talking about your dad that I, I think just overall about your family as a whole to me, is something that stands mm. out. And if we go back to your great-great-grandfather, about how he was mm -hmm. one of the first, uh, you know, he was a, a first African-American graduate from the college he went to, became, you know, an African-American mm -hmm. professor in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. um, you had an uncle who was, you know, the, um, sorry, not uncle, you had a great-uncle who was, the principal here at AJ Moore forever and big into education. Your dad, huge into mm -hmm. music, you huge into news, your son now with marketing. And there's another Wilson down in Kerrville that's related to you guys. That's big in education. It seems your family as a whole, not just, I know we're focusing on your dad and we're talking to you and we've talked to your son, but to me, mm -hmm. one of the biggest things about this story is how your family as a mm -hmm. whole, no matter when it was, has always been able, in my opinion, to do great things. Every generation. There was, you know, it can be education-based, music-based, news-based, media-based. But your family as a whole just seems to be full of people who are able to do things on another level. And I think that that's just kind of impressive and something that I would think that you would have to be kind of proud of for your family as a whole. You know, you can't help but be. But it is, it's, it's almost like a, it's a, there's a lottery dimension to it. That's the first thing that came to my mind when you were saying that, because you're dealt a hand. And when you have such a rich foundation and you have such a, a kind of intrinsic expectation that you're going to do well. I mean, I can remember my dad telling me from the time I was, five years old. I don't care if you're a ditch digger, you're going to be a great ditch digger. You're going to be the best ditch digger. And the adage in the black world of from whom much is given, much is expected, that you have an incumbent responsibility to kind of shine because you've been dealt such a good hand. Now, the hand may have been dealt in a burning building, but it's still a good hand. 
meaning you may be in a racist society, you may have impediments against you, but at the same time, you have been given a lot of advantages. And that's the kind of thing where I, I, I applaud my family roots. I, 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 they're venerated and I appreciate them, but it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing and it's, it's, it's truly the luck of the draw. And it's up to me. It's like someone handling you a bowl of water. And it's up to me to hand it to somebody else without spilling it or dropping it. And so if I can do that, I've done my job. And I feel like my dad felt he had done it. I'm feeling like I'm doing it with my kids. And I'm most confident that my kids will do it. And I can remember just an idea of, to give you a perspective of kids, my son said to me when he was in the fifth grade, and it hit me like a slap in the face. He says, Dad, am I going to go to college? And I looked at him, and I wasn't sure if he was teasing me or not. And so I looked at him, and when he was looking at me with those doleful eyes of, oh, you know, a nine-year-old or whatever he is, I said, son, it's just a matter of where you're going to college, not whether you're going to college. And he looked at me, and he said, really? I said, I promise you. And it's the same type of thing that was the expectation is there. The, the gifts are given. You know, there's, and I, I'm married to a woman who has that same family. I mean, is the same devotion to our kids. The success of my kids does not just spring from the Wilsons. It springs from the Ricketts, which is my, my wife's maiden name. And this is, I often tell people I married into the Huxtables. And when I say that, dad was a surgeon, mom was a pharmacist, the first black pharmacist at Duke in, in history. So they, they, they walk my kids walk in the shadow of greatness from both sides of the family. The daughters are surgeons and lawyers and administrators. Um, my wife's a research pharmacist, you know, so there, there, there wasn't, there wasn't much of an opportunity to fall between the cracks. And when you came home to do some homework at our house, if it was science or math, you went to the right to Victoria. If it was social studies or English, you went to the left to dad. There was no one going to drop the ball at our house. And it's something we're very proud of and we're very confident in. And we know our legacy is intact through our kids. And I know my family's always felt that way. That's that's just such such a great response. I listen to that and I, I think to myself that, you know, that's, that's what I want to be, obviously, for my kids and help them grow towards that way. I, I got to tell you. Tom, listening to your stories, you talking to Lindsay, you just talking to me now. I, I can't explain to you how much I just enjoy sitting here talking to you. Um, yeah, well, I appreciate that, Zach. You know, I'm, I, I, this is more somber and serious than I am. If we're talking sports or politics, I'm a little, I'm much more from the cuff. But when you're speaking from the heart, and it's something as key as this, it, 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 it's easy to kind of wax poetically. But I'm just a regular old guy no. um, who's uh, been been blessed. Well, well, maybe when you come down, I can actually kind of finally talk some politics with somebody. I'm the only liberal in my entire family, so it's a lot of me just keeping my mouth shut all the time. Uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. And, and just, you know, and just leaving rooms where conversations are going on where I'm like, I'm not dealing with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I, I when I am able to finally get it out, I get to, uh, you know, light up with joy a little bit. Um I just uh, I will do that, and you. It, sometimes you have to realize you can't pour a gallon into a teacup. Oh no, that's true. That's that. true. You just got to get enough to be able to suffice <laughs> to, to to keep you good for a bit. Um, yeah. I uh, I told my wife last night we were laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep, and about the interview mm-hmm. that I had today, and I said, I know this mm-hmm. is going to sound weird, 
but I think besides anybody in my family who I'm actually related to, the person that I feel like I know most about their life is Tom Wilson Jr. Like just the amount of research I've done and dug into, Mm -hmm. like I feel almost, Mm -hmm. uh, and I've loved every part of it, of just everything I've been able to find out about your dad. And then even the more I've dug Mm -hmm. to find out about you, to find out about your son, to find out Mm -hmm. about your family. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing to me. And, uh, I appreciate it all very much. And I mean, I just, I, I love just, you know, everything about the Wilson family. I, I, I truly do love you guys. And, uh, I appreciate you helping us with this. Well, I, I want to thank you because I'm truly gratified by this. We've been working on this hall of fame stuff and there's some things going on, um, that I have some friends who are uh, connected to the music business and it appears there's going to be a little more traction to his consideration. There's some other projects that are being worked on. Um, So the fact that you're contributing to that is something I'm really grateful for. And what I really, what I really relish about it is that a couple of things um, that the love and and the devotion come through in the piece. There's a, there's a kind of an, a not over the top reverence that needs to be paid to someone who is a titan in the business. But in addition to that, it's the, it's the compendium. It's seeing it from beginning to end. You heard my son mention it. It's hard to kind of in snippets sit a kid down, you know, a, a millennial attention span, <laughs> the 10-year-old attention span, um, you know, prying them away from a phone uh, and, and all the, the mishmash that's going on in their world to be able to kind of have a, a chronicling of it in a linear sense has real value. And, and, uh, and I, I told him the other day, I said, have you listened to it yet? No, dad, I got to. So last night he told me that he listened to it too. He said, wow. I said, yeah, you got to see where your family comes from. And my, um, my, uh, uh, cousin sent me a picture of, uh, of the brothers Wilson, um, last week when we got in touch and, uh, and we hadn't, we hadn't talked for 20 years. And it was just such a wonderful picture. I said, you see this picture, you see all the Wilson boys, my grandfather, his wife, and all, and, the, and his brothers. And I said, this is where you come from, man. These are your people. And and now that he heard the podcast and heard the, about BC, he gets to, to see some of the stuff. And I'm as guilty as anybody else because I don't have a full kind of uh, corralling of that because the same things I just indicted him for, I'm guilty of as well. <laughs> and so, um, you, you know, so to have it laid out like that and to have it, it, it presented in such a, a nice, you know, it, it, this could have been a podcast that was a two-part podcast and you could have run ramshackle through it. But to see it kind of building momentum and doing it in an epochal sense I mean, it, it, it really is, it, it, it's something very exciting. So we thank you as the Wilsons, and we really looking forward to meeting you. As soon as this COVID stuff calms yes, down, we're going to swear, because I've already been, I've already been lambasted by my wife. She said, it's right up the highway. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't been there. She, you know, she just, she put me so deep in the dipshit column that um, I, we have to come up there as a family and give you a hug as well. Man. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot different than the last time you were here. Downtown has kind of completely changed since uh, I well, was a I kid. breezed through. I have no, yeah, I have no real memory of it because I breezed through there in, I think 94 or five. I landed in Austin. We drove from Austin 
straight through, basically hung out at my uh, at my aunt's house, and then rolled back out. So I'm not even sure I saw downtown Waco. Uh, well, that's okay. 94? So, no, nah, Waco, Waco wasn't good in 94. I can I can tell you as a young kid living here, it wasn't anything special. <laughs> yeah, I know. that's what I that's what I was last at. And I, you know, there's a special shout out to our girl Lindsay because yeah, I knew um, mm-hmm. when I got that email, and it was kind of that I I, I write those emails, I tell sick reporters on subjects. It was one of those groping shot in the dark emails. I hope you're who I think you are. Email, mm-hmm. and um, and so when I got the phone call, it was it was very nice, and we clicked very very easily because I when she started talking about the vagabond nature of her, you know, from Maine to Florida to this, I had done Kalamazoo, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis, San Francisco. You know what I mean? So I I knew of the trek that journalists yeah. take. So. We were kindred spirits right away, but I, I, I'm gratified she's she's getting a, a, a cred on it and is contributing to it because she she really uh, she really connected with me and I'm I'll be forever grateful for her, for Lindsay and the uh, No, she's she's been awesome. Uh, Mike wanted me to go ahead and pass along his thanks as well. He's he's out in the uh, producing this while we're sitting here talking, but he wanted me to thank you for him as well for. Uh, you know, oh the, yeah, well, thank Mike too. It was wonderful talking with him as well the other day. Uh, we just have—I think we have just an absolutely fantastic group here. You know, uh, I mm-hmm. come from a world where it's all about research, and I feel like I'm very good. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, hunt down leads. I have that attitude of where I'll, you know, email anybody just to see because what's the mm-hmm. worst they can tell me? No, kind of thing. So I was able to talk to oh, yeah. you know Marshall Crenshaw and Chuck Israels and all that about this just from simply finding mm-hmm. and emailing and. That's always been my bag mm-hmm. is, is the research. Lindsay's our bulldog. Mm-hmm. She's able to go out there, you know, and we will give her something and she will just track it down and hunt it down. And then Mike's a, oh, you know, I, know the, I know the breed. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's an absolutely fantastic producer. He's done amazing producing mm-hmm. this out. Travis, uh, who's been our narrator mm-hmm. for it has been great. It's just, you know, Jacob and Katie, all, all six of us. I just think, to me, at least, we, we couldn't have found a better team to do this. And I'm glad that. Well, you know, it manifests itself. You can see it. You can see it in the product. You know, I mean, it's uh, there's a um, there's a, a kind of a tenderness, a thoroughness. There's a, the kind of uh, uh, the 30,000 foot view and the 3000 foot view. So those, that always makes for a nice meld. And when you can accomplish that and you can touch people's hearts and at the same time peel back the onion on somebody who's kind of mysterious i mean i love the title i love the alliteration in the title um and yet the title stands alone so it's in it, the whole project i've been very impressed with I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of it my small part i appreciate it very much i really so. like you talk to my son too man i'm glad uh, you got, i'm glad that was your idea now you have a fourth wilson yeah no <laughs> hey let's let's hear from as many as many as we can but uh i I love seeing. He's convinced he's going to have no kids. Ah, oh, come on! It's, it's... All, I told we all said the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah. No, my wife, my wife, when we first got married, told me I don't know, I, or even when we first started dating, it's like oh, I like kids, but I don't know if we'll have them. And now we spend, you know, all this year talking about, well, what if we do? Oh, we could do this, and we could do this, and she's planning homes and putting children's rooms in there. So it always changes. It always changes. Yes. But I, uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about having talked to him. 
Oh, yeah. No, I just, I love just getting, you know, as many generations views on things. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I think it's great, obviously, because I want, what we've been trying to do, obviously, with the story, too, is not only, you know, tell the story of your dad, but also relate it to everything that's, you know, going on now. And I think having mm -hmm. his voice kind of adds to that because. Yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely has a different perspective on it. And, you know, when he, 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 when I talk to him, he, he's, he's the embodiment of something that we've always said and something that I passed down from my dad, which was just get me to the interview. I'm not worried. And it's just, he has that same confidence. I mean, you know, a lot of people would start being ham-handed and I'm talking to somebody and they're interviewing me. Oh my God, what am I supposed to say? None of that. It's not, you know, it's like I set him down to, to do an oral report when he was a kid and he had his stuff written out. And I said, oh, no, no, no. And he said, what do you mean? I said, no, you're just going to tell people what you've learned. He said, dad, I said, this is a lot. And he's like, I think he's in the seventh or eighth grade. And I said, well, you're allowed cue cards then the talking points, but no sentences. And he goes, Dad, I can't do that. And I said, let me put it to you bluntly, brother. And he said, what? I said, Wilson's don't give speeches that way. And I said, and he goes, well, what do we do? And so I, I sat him down. And he was giving me a talk on um, the health care plan. And uh, it was his, his seminal project for the eighth grade. And so what I did was I put the talking points on cupboards and we opened up the cupboards and uh, it had to be, it had to be a 20 minute speech and, uh, and the bullet points were written up there. And I said, and I sat him down and I said, here's how this is going to go. man." And he said, and he's looking at me and I can tell he's not believing me and he's scared and he knows he's going to have to deliver this and he's seen crash and burn all over the place. So I said, here's how this is going to go. You're going to, after the first run, you're going to tell you me you can't do it. After the second, third run, you're going to be thoroughly convinced you can't do it. After the fourth time we go through this, you're going to say, I can do this, but it's going to crash and burn it. It's going to really suck. And why are you doing this to me, Dad? And by the fifth and sixth thing, you're going to be in tears. And I said, by the seventh and eighth take, you're going to feel you can pull this off. And by the tenth time you do this, you're going to be changing the script. And when it all came that way, and I, I, he gave it to me back to back, and the one was completely different than the other, I said, that was different than the last one. He said, yeah, I had different things to say, Dad. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> I said, oh, you had different things to say, Mr. Can't do anything but read it off of a piece of paper? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, I would never do that again. So I told him, I said, so he was talking about kids in his class one time, and I was saying, he said, but they're so smart. They're in computer sciences. They're doing this. I said, yeah, and their hands are leaking if they have to say two sentences in front of 10 people. Mm -hmm. I said, are you ever scared of giving a report? Are you ever scared of talking in public? Do you, if you have to stand up and make a presentation, are you scared? He goes, no. I said, that's a gift. I said, that's a, something that's a distinguishing character trait that you have. I said, that's as valuable as anything else. When you can distill information and make a persuasive argument and imply critical thinking to something, that's powerful. And that's what he was, that's, that's what came across to you. Mm -hmm. Because that's the way he is. Oh, that My was, daughter's the same way. It was, it yeah. was great. It was great.
I I uh, absolutely appreciate you giving us some time your Sunday afternoon. And uh, hey, my pleasure, man. Anytime, give me a holler anytime. Say hi to Michael. Say hi to Lindsay. Looking forward to the next episode, guys. Yes, sir. On the next episode of Invisible Icon, we return to our story and visit the final years of Tom Wilson's life. This podcast is produced by Rogue Media Network. Our executive producers are Lindsay Lippman, Zach Berg, Jacob Green, and Katie Selman. Our director is Mike Hamilton. Our theme music is by the Bowlings. Join us for the next installment of Invisible Icon, The Tom Wilson Story. This has been a Rogue Media Network Podcast.